0: this book for the next few weeks next few weeks i don't know if you know this i mentioned this to sister stephanie the other day and it's becoming even more and more lately i've been finding myself talking about it every church have a personality and a culture every church have its own personality and culture that's a fact and so uh people will visit your church visit other churches, and a lot of times it's not really so much about what was being preached that will cause them to come back as it is the culture and the personality of the church. That's a fact. Can't get around it. And so we have a personality and a culture, and that's going to determine if people will want to be here or not. And All the other churches do. And so it's important to understand what is the personality and the culture. But I also say that to say, you're going to hear me say this more and more, that we must strive to be biblical Christians and not traditional Christians. (laughs) That is very important. A traditional Christian will... It will be like a roller coaster sometimes um, for if you want to live your life uh, as a traditional Christian. But as a biblical Christian, it will be consistency. Um, You will be more victorious as a biblical Christian than as a traditional Christian. And a biblical Christian certainly will get you to heaven as opposed to a traditional Christian that will just make you feel good about yourself. So. We're going to focus a lot on being biblical Christians more than traditional Christian. And biblical Christianity will always be taken out of the word of God. And so we will kind of go through that a little bit. Uh, We'll touch on a lot of things. I think you will like the study that we will do. I think you'll enjoy yourself. And I think it will be life-changing to you. So... If you will get your turn, your books to page 11 and I'll skip around, but I'll keep you informed. You can read along with me. And then when we have to go to Bible scriptures, we'll go to Bible scriptures uh, to make sure we prove our points. But we'll go to page number 11. Page number 11. The title of this book is Lead to Follow or Follow to Lead. Which one is it? I've read this book through Follow to Lead. I've read this book through. I've heard the person that wrote this book preach about this book about three times. I know this book very well. Matter of fact, just had a conversation with the man that wrote this book just the past weekend. So very familiar with this book. But this book is so biblically sound, it's ridiculous. Uh, Sometimes you read a book, what they like to say, you eat the meat and throw out the bones. Because some people writing, there's some bones in it that you need to throw out. It's just not good for you. Um, And you take the meat. This book is not one of those kind of books, and that's why we're studying it. If it it was a book where we eat the meat and throw out the bones, I, I would just keep it to myself. (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't want you making soup out of the bones so out, out of those books. You might you might want to drink the soup if you make soup. So throw the bones away. But this book is so well written that uh, we can go with everything that is put, is in this book. So page 11, the very first paragraph said, The greatest living thing in the world today is the church of Jesus Christ. There is no other organization or entity on the earth that can even come close to having the impact the church has delivered in terms of the implication for all humanity past, present, and for eternity. Jesus Christ, the founder of the church, left his followers with a purpose, a plan, and a a product. A lot of people wants to know what is my purpose. We many people. I think that's that's why that book that um, can't think of his name right now wrote "Purpose Driven Life" made so much money because everybody wants to know what is my purpose, and so that is a huge topic, and a topic that have been discussed a lot. But if we go into the word of God and look at it carefully and closely, we will see that we already, Jesus Christ had already established our purpose in this earth. Millenniums, millenniums after the birth of the church, we must ask ourselves the hard questions. Are we accomplishing the vision of the founder? Are we employing the method he modeled to accomplish his desired purpose? Is the product that we're yielding identical to the original? So we have to look at those things. Again, I want you to be biblically sound Christians, not traditional Christians. So we will dig into this a little bit. As we go along, turn over to page 12. The second paragraph says, Jesus spoke words just prior to his ascension that made heaven shout and hell shudder. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. Matthew twenty-eight 19. We'll look at that in a second. Every Christian that has read this text can c- clearly identify it as the great commission. So if you read Matthew 28:19, if you're a Christian for any amount of time, you can identify it that this is a commission that God gave his disciples, the church. Fulfilling the great commission is the essential practice for the church. That demonstrates how we value what we accomplish for us on the cross. His great sacrifice is the salvation, Romans five eight. His great grace is our motivation, Philippians two thirteen, and his great lifestyle is our method to fulfill his vision. Matthew eleven nineteen. So let's look at some things here. Let's go to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. We have touched this a little bit in the past, but we're going to dig real deep into it now. Matthew 28, 19. Remember, this is at any time you can ask a question if there's a question that you may have, because I want to make sure you get it. I don't want you to not get what we're talking about tonight. I want you to get it. Sister Joy. Hello, Sister Joy. <laughs> Matthew 28, verse 19 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations with an S, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit ghosts so Matthew 28:19 the go means to move to get going and when it says teach all nations that word teach means disciple nations that word teach Many times when the scripture referred to the word teach, it's referring to discipleship. Back in those days that we know nothing about in this day, um, students used to sit under rabbis and the rabbis was the teacher. This is why uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus and call him rabbi, because when you are a scholar in the word of God, you have students that sit under you and you disciple them. You teach them. So teaching people the word of God is discipling people into the things of God. So when he tells them to go into all nations and teach, he's saying go and disciple. Make disciples. Make disciples. Verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Now, there's another, there's uh, three places in the Bible, four places in the Bible, I believe, where the Great Commission is written. And right here it says, um, this is very important. It says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. But here is the big one. And lo, I am with you always. So, Who is the Lord with always, according to what you just read? Mm -mm. He says, go ye into the world and teach, make disciples. Who is the Lord with? Those who go and make disciples. Now, what does that mean with? Because God is present everywhere. So I can say, yeah, but God is present everywhere, so I know God is with me. That with is different. When he say, go and lo, I'll be with you, what he's saying is, I will perform, I will work through you to get the job done. So when you go to make disciples, God says, I will work through you and enable you to get the job done. But the only time I work through people is when they're trying to get the job done. So if we want to understand how God works through people is when we're trying to do what God said we should do. So a lot of times we want to experience God work in our life because in our mind, if I'm a child of God, and I'm going to church, and I'm doing the right things, well, God should just automatically work through me, because I'm a child of God. That's not what God said. He said, when you get involved with my mission, my purpose to make disciples, I will work through you that you are capable and able to make disciples. But if you're not going to make disciples, I don't need to work through you. I don't need to do things through you. I can be with you because I'm present everywhere all at once. Or you can have me inside of you if you have the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean I'm going to perform anything if you're not doing what I ask you to do. We read on page... Any questions there? We read on page 12 where it says that fulfilling the Great Commission is the essential practice for the church. So we know church is one, but church is many. Yes? We we have that? Yeah. That all of us, once you become born again, you become a part of the church. You are the church. The church is not a building. Right? So if you become part of the church through the process of being born again and you're growing because you're being discipled in the church, then you have a mission and the mission is to fulfill the great commission. I don't want to lose you tonight. I'm going to take my time. So the great commission is for us to go and make disciples. That great commission is to the church which could mean individually and collectively. So he said the essential practice for the church to demonstrate how we value what was accomplished for us on the cross. His great sacrifice is the salvation of... His his great um, sacrifice is our salvation. Somebody get Romans chapter five and eight somebody else his grace is our motivation somebody get Philippians uh-huh And somebody else get Philippians 2 and 13 because that's his motivate that's that's our motivation and his great lifestyle that we're supposed to mimic is in Matthew 11 19 so we want to get all those texts and we're going to read them because they are significant those texts talk about Our salvation, our motivation, and our lifestyle. Okay, somebody have Romans? Go ahead, nice and loud. Okay, so our salvation is while we were yet sinners. This is why we can't take credit for anything. God loved us. Went to the cross for us even when we were disobedient and we weren't following him. That's what love is all about. Remember, we only love when people treat us good. Jesus loved even when he wasn't being loved back. All right, what's the next one? Philippians 2.13. Go ahead. Uh huh. Okay, so that's our motivation. God works in us. That's, that should have you being motivated because it's God that should be working in us. A lot of times we get frustrated and tired and worn out because it's not God that's working in us, it's us that's working us. But if we will allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, then work won't be as difficult the spiritual work won't be as difficult as we sometimes experience because we're trying to work it on our own. Matthew eleven nineteen is something else. Who has that? The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold a man bloodless and a wine giver, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of our children. Ah, that one get me going. John the Baptist came, the verse before that, John the Baptist came, and he didn't eat with people. John the Baptist was just on a mission to make the way for Christ. He didn't hang with people. He didn't eat the same kind of food people ate. And they said, man, he's a weird dude. What's up with that guy? Jesus came, and Jesus had meals with sinners. He befriended sinners and they still criticized him. So get this. You as a child of God trying to live for God, you might as well just do it right. Because no matter how you do it, you will be criticized. (laughs) So if you feel like you just need to fit in with everybody else, You're being criticized, whether it's to your face or behind your back. You're going to be criticized. If you're trying to be a Christian person, but you're trying to fit in, you're going to be criticized. And if you do it right, biblically, every day, being consistent, obeying the Word of God, and if you do it that way, you're going to be criticized. Might as well be criticized for the right things. You're going to be criticized. John the Baptist was powerful. repent ye, the kingdom is at hand. Make way straight for the king is coming. And they're like, that dude, look at him. Look how he's dressed. Look what he eat. Some people said this stuff that he ate is like grasshoppers. He cooked grasshoppers and drank honey. So they was like, that dude is weird. We're not messing with him. So they talked about him, and he was supposed to be the spiritual man. Then Jesus came on the scene, who is God in the flesh, and he is, you know, loving people, eating with people, befriending people that everybody else rejects. And they're like, "Man, wine bibber, dude, 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 hanging out with people and getting drunk. Can't win." And he wasn't hanging out and getting drunk. What Jesus was doing, and talks about here this part of the book, what Jesus was doing was showing us the lifestyle that we need to live. And the lifestyle we need to live, and you'll hear a lot more about this as we go on, as children of God, the lifestyle we need to live is to befriend sinners. Now, how do you befriend somebody? You know how to befriend somebody because you got a friend, don't you? So, what Jesus was doing was befriending sinners. Because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So, you go in with your loud John the Baptist telling repent, they're like, get out of my face. I don't know who you are. You just want, you just trying to serve your own purpose. But when you befriend them and they get to know you, And you get to know them. Then they respect the quality of conversation. They respect what you say and you respect them. Now you have an opportunity to begin to make disciples of them. That's what Jesus did. That's the lifestyle. And that is what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. Learning those things that Jesus did in order to become more effective as a Christian. Because here's the deal. We've all got people, family members, friends that we want to see get saved. Because we don't know when Jesus is coming back, but he's coming back soon. And we don't know when he's coming back, and we're trying our best to reach them. But you know what? Maybe you need to hang out, take them out for lunch, take them out for dinner. Maybe you need to do something special with the people that you've been taking for granted, but you want to get them saved. You know, that goes for us as parents. We want to tell our children, come to church, come to church. Okay, are we spending time with our children? We can't really change the whole process of how we've been living because we've been living traditionally, best way to say it, as opposed to living biblically. So we have to take time out. But here's the deal. When I meet with my friends... When I meet with my children, when I meet with the different people, I have to be who I'm supposed to be. I can't compromise. Because if I compromise, then what would be the reason for them to listen to what I have to say? Because I'm trying to get them to become a disciple of Christ. I'm trying to get them connected with Jesus. Why would they want to be connected with Jesus if I'm not looking like I'm connected with Jesus? If I'm not living like I'm connected with Jesus, why would they want to? So the first thing we have to do is make up in our mind that we're going to be criticized no matter how we live. So I might as well live according to the biblical way a Christian is supposed to live. I might as well go ahead and do it. And if my siblings, friends, children, whoever it is you know, have an issue with it or people that you work with have an issue with it, you know what, I'm going to love them anyhow, but it's not going to make me change. Because even if I become like them and hang out and, you know, go to happy hour and do this and do that, they still will have a criticism of me. And they may not say it to my face because, you know, we're trying to be phony. And so they might just, you know, not say it to me right then and there. But when I leave or when they leave, they're going to talk about me. It's just the way of the world. People talk about people all the time. So I might as well make up in my mind, if you're going to talk about me, you're going to talk about me to say, man, you go to church all the time. All you ever talk about is Jesus, Jesus. Jesus." Just you might as well go ahead and get it out. Talk about me. Because if I go the other way, you're still going to talk about me. So let's make up in our mind that if we're going to be who we're supposed to be as Christians, it's going to cost you a little bit of money. Yeah, you gotta take somebody out. You gotta spend quality time. Oh yeah, you gotta spend quality time. You have to let the people know that they're the one that's important, one on one. Not just call them up every once in a while or or you know invite them over when everybody's over, but you and them one on one. Spend some money, hang out, share stories. That's biblical. Not traditional. Unfortunately, for some people that's been around in the the church, we don't mess with sinners. Traditional. Not what Jesus did. Jesus knew the mission of why he was here. Jesus knew what he was going to go through. The Bible says he died while we were yet sinners. So he knew the suffering that he was going to go through so people will have an opportunity to be saved. And so because he knows or knew that at the time that he had to go through the suffering and the struggle for people to be saved, why would he not do what it takes to help people get saved? That would just waste the whole thing. That he came and suffered and struggled And didn't put any effort in to getting people saved. All right, jump down to, we're still on page 12. Let's jump down to the last paragraph. Jesus was a master teacher and well understood the principle of taking his students, his disciples, from what they knew to what they did not know. Greatest teacher in the world, preachers, if you're going to be a preacher, you better write that down. When we are trying to talk to people, this is why it's important, again, to have relationship, friendship. Because you will get to know the individual. You'll get to know what they're about, what they like, what they don't like. You know, the things that they're interested in. And so, when you begin to befriend them, and now you're friends, the next thing that happens is the discipleship process. But in order for them to follow you as you're trying to teach them, there must be some connection. You can't just go from, you know, eating a nice grilled chicken breast. Since, since Shirley's here, now I said grilled chicken breast. I thought I have looked at you and I said a T-bone or something. But all right, you can't go from eating a, a, a nice grilled chicken breast To say, so you know, Jesus died for your sins. It just don't work for them. You know, so you have to know what they're about, what they're involved in, so you can transition it good. And the transition is, what can I talk about that they really understand That I can transition it into something biblical that they will understand and be able to grasp what I'm saying. Because that's how I'm going to start discipling them. So let me give you an example. Luke chapter 5. Look how smooth Jesus is. He's the greatest teacher that ever walked this earth. So we're going to learn biblical ways of Befriending someone and trying to teach them because you're disciplining them, transitioning them the right way. Here is how it worked. Come on, master teacher. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him, just ask him, that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now, I'm not a fisherman, but I'm kind of smiling because they were washing their nets, but they didn't catch any fish. Somebody that's a fisherman probably can tell me why they were still washing the net, but they didn't catch anything. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So you wash off the salt. So they were just washing off the salt off the net because they caught nothing. Got it. Appreciate it. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. A lot of fish, right? When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knee, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the drought of the fishes which they had taken. Here's the key. Big verse. And so was also James and John, the son of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. That's the master teacher. He came up with a brilliant way of teaching them. He got all into their stuff. There's a lot going on there. If I'm going to disciple you, I got a friend. I got to make sure we're friends. And to be friends, I got to invest. It can't be shallow what we're doing. It it can't be just, you know, when I get the time. It has to be an investment. You have to invest in their life. You have to understand them. You have to come to know them before you can ever speak into their life. So Jesus wanted them to become disciples and become disciple makers. So in order for them to be like Jesus and become a disciple maker, Jesus showed them how it all worked. You first have to make friends. And the way you're going to make friends, you have to get it all into their life. If you just stay in your own lane and do your own thing and never get invested in somebody else's life, you will never be able to affect them. You quiet now. Cause this is culture change. This is, this is, this is, this is biblical change that if we will do this, our life will change. Remember this. Jesus will never tell you to do anything that will not reward you. Because when we hear all this stuff, we start thinking, man, this is going to change my life. Turn, I don't have time already for my own self. How am I going to ever try to get smart and say to yourself, Jesus is so sharp that if I will just do his thing, the things that I think I need to do, the things that I think I need to put time in, He will take care of those things for me just so I can take care of the things that he asked me to do. In that same story, what else did you pick up on it? The fishermen fished all night and caught zilch, zero, nada. But when Jesus said, can I borrow your boat so I can teach the crowd? They let Jesus borrow their boat. And because Jesus says, I owe no man. He's just so consistent in the way he does things. Remember, God says, owe no man. He don't owe any man. He will always make sure you're taking care of for whatever you do. So he just borrowed their boat to sit in. Push me back a little bit, Peter, so I can be on the water and I can see everyone and teach everyone. And just because they allowed him to borrow their boat when he got done, he said, throw your net over on that side. I'm going to make sure you catch enough fish that you won't have to go fish for a whole week. So the principle that we need to take from it, what I'm telling you tonight sounds hard. It sounds like it's going to make your life more difficult. It sounds like it's just going to cost you some money. All of this stuff and you're saying, I don't know about all that. But it's a biblical teaching of Jesus Christ. And Jesus will not ask you to do anything for him without rewarding you that's what it comes down to so as we begin to get into this lesson and i begin to dig in and we dig in together and learn a little bit just keep an open mind that whatever we're going to learn that we need to start practicing it will be a blessing to you more than you can ever imagine as a matter of fact here's another part of it that you must understand If you will do what we're talking about today, your struggles in life will be so much more minuscule. I experienced this a little bit. This is such a blessing to me because I was able to start doing some of this. I wasn't doing it exactly how it needed to be done, but I really had a good little work. I I had had my finger on the pulse. Let's say it that, that way. And I was talking to Brother Henry the other day. And I was talking to Brother Barry this evening. And the premise that I try to share with them is I had problems that I didn't know I had. Because they never mattered to me. I couldn't see them. I couldn't see my problems because I was making disciples. Stuff was going on. Things were challenging. And I really never noticed it. When you get involved with disciple making, all of your problems become so small. Because you start realizing, I know who Jesus is. I have an eternal promise. If I die today, I'm better off than if I was still living. But this person over here that have no idea who Jesus is, they're not born again. They're not walking with the Lord. If they happen to die today, they are separated from God eternally. Who is in a worse off position? You see? So just that alone puts you in a place to say, you know what? I'm not even worrying about all of the stuff that's going on in my life because, you know what? I still know Jesus. I have a relationship with him. If anything happens, if the worst, because the worst thing that can ever happen to us is death. If that happens, I'm better off anyway. Any questions? Can I pause for a second? Any questions there? Anyone have any comment? With all, I'm on page 13 first, up at the top. With all of their human ingenuity, skills, and experience, their all-night fishing expedition had yielded nothing. At a command from the master, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Their lives changed forever. Suddenly all kinds of fish rushed into their net, causing it to break as they hauled in this miraculous catch. Their boat began to sink. The harvest was so massive that it required sharing their harvest, requiring sharing their bounty with another boat. And that one began to sink too. As the disciples got At their unprecedented and unexpected breakthrough, it was undeniable clear to them that they could not take credit for the supernatural harvest. God wants to give, let me say it this way, God wants to reap his harvest, but he needs us to biblically follow him. The people that he died for, which is everybody, he is ready to, as fish was being brought in the net, he's ready to reach them, but he needs us to throw the net. But we have to throw it the way he wants us to throw it. And so we have to understand that we must trust the process of being disciples of Christ and start making disciples. That is the profound and simple, because it's not profound, it's really simple. That is what we are supposed to be focused on as Christians. And all the other stuff that we can really start to try to figure out and we want to know the deep things of the Word of God... You know how I learned deep things of the Word of God? As I was making disciple. Remember I told you one time somebody said to me, a, a person that we were trying to make a disciple of, said, if God is God, why does God want us to worship him? He must be some egotistical God. Now, this was somebody that was bright and smart. Man, that tripped me up. And so while he's asking the question, I say, God, you will be with us. I didn't pray this prayer. I didn't pray it like this, but I prayed, you know, just asking him for help. You said you will be with us if we go and make disciples. What in the world do I tell this dude? And right away, I got an answer. I guarantee if it was something else. How many times we prayed praise and don't get no answer? What were we doing? What was it that we were asking God that we didn't get the answer? <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving it alone. I don't even want to know your answer. But how many times have we prayed to God and say, God, can you? Nothing. But that, the dude is in front of me. If God is such this powerful and he can do everything, why is he wanting us to bow down and worship him? This egotistical God. And he's standing before me. Just like, I'm like, how in the world do I answer this now? And right away, Spirit of the Lord, tell him, I created you to be worshipers. And if you don't worship me, you're going to worship something else. Because I made you that way. And when you worship me, I will never hurt you. It is what keeps you from worshiping everything else. And so I'm not asking you to worship me because I need you to worship me. I'm asking you to worship me so you will be okay. I said, stop it, Holy Ghost. So when we talk about we're worshiping God, it's not for God, but he will respond. He is, when we worship God, it's for our own benefit. It does something for us. It's not doing something for God. You're right. God is all-powerful, all-loving. He don't need us to bow down and worship him. But what he don't want for us to do is... Get off course and get lost. What he don't want us to do is go bow before idols. What he don't want us to do is to go bore, bow before men. He doesn't want us to do that. Now that breaks his heart. And so our worship that we, anytime we worship is for our own benefit because whatever you worship empowers you. So when you get into worshiping God, when you get done worshiping God, you are empowered. You feel like I've got this strength, this energy, this burst. This is something else that I've got, and it's all because I worship him. So tell me who benefits from worshiping. But when you have the wrong mindset, you think God is standing like, yeah, worship me. No, he's trying to help you. But it's because I was in the process. Again, don't lose the point. The point is, I was going to make disciples. And so when you go to make disciples, you get answers. You get revelations. He starts telling you stuff. I've taught many Bible studies that I didn't know the answers to. But because I was trying to make disciples and teach the Bible, revelation was coming. He was just, say this, say that. So the quickest way to get God to answer is get involved with discipling someone. Those are answered prayer that come quickly. Now you can pray for something else and it can just just you're not getting any answer and you're like, "Man, God, I thought you said if we ask anything in your name." You know, we, we go you all know, we ask anything in your name, you shall you shall give it to us. Well, I'm asking in you your name. And he's saying, "Yeah, I didn't stamp that. I didn't approve that. You're asking in my name, but I just really didn't approve it. You're just asking on your own strength there." So that's that that's that's important to understand that if we get involved With making disciples, God will reveal things to us that we will get our minds blown. Any questions? All right. Turn to page 19. Page 19. We're going to change the way we live for God. And live for God biblically. Not traditionally. You're going to get hurt a little bit more as we go along. But hey, hurt me Lord. If it's going to make me better. The very top paragraph says. Thinking. Precipitates. Behavior. Proverbs twenty-three-seven says. For as he thinks in his heart. So is he. Or she. It has been said that when we sow a thought, we reap a behavior. When we sow a behavior, we reap a character. And when we sow a character, we reap a destiny. A blessed destiny begins with a biblical correct thought. We need biblically correct thought. Uh, it's it's a challenge for us if we're trying to do the things of God without really understand the real understanding behind The real meaning behind it. What the scriptures say, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing in the word of truth. And so, um, I don't know remember I said this to you and it probably still stands true that when we think Christians we think life is supposed to be so much easier. And so because we think that it makes us less apt to work at it. Like it's supposed to just naturally flow because we're Christians. And I think that's crippling us because we just want to just sit and say well God knows all and God loves me and he went to the cross and we start getting all into that and so it makes us just kind of sit back and kind of wait and in doing so we get these not accurate thoughts in the word of God and so now we have these things that we have in our mind they're not accurate but we're kind of sowing this thought which is gonna reap a character. And so that's how we get into stuff and we're wondering, why do we do this anyway? It was a thought that was not accurate according to biblical context. And now we find ourselves having living having this character as as supposedly being a Christian, but it's because we started with a wrong thought. It wasn't accurate. We we we, we made it biblical, but it wasn't accurate. Just like Eve says, had God the devil said to Eve, had God said And then she added, God said, we may eat of every tree, but we can't touch this. She added the word touch in it. So when we read, we have to start slowing down and really be purposeful, intentional and really focused and really try to get what the scripture is really saying and not just go by what we've heard all the time, what we've heard people quoted. We have to really stop and start breaking it down for ourselves and not be traditional in how we read the Bible. We can't afford to read the Bible traditionally because just this is the problem. If when we read the Bible traditionally, we frustrate ourselves. And I know how people backslide. I know why people get disinterested in God is because we feel like we're trying, but we're not seeing results. That's why we get frustrated. That's why we back up from church. That's why we back up from God, because we feel like we're really trying. And we're saying, I'm trying, I'm praying, but nothing is happening. And really, it may just come down to you might not have the right interpretation of what you're saying and doing. And God has to honor His Word. He can't just let you go off with a wrong interpretation and still do it. Yes? Okay. Alright. Page 20. I'm in the top paragraph, but I'm not starting at the top. I am where it says here, Sometimes God inspires Certain. I'm in the middle of the first paragraph. Sometimes God inspires certain individuals in unique ways to reach the loss. But he may not intend for that method to become a theological track to perpetually follow. I love this example. Moses first met God at a burning bush. But he did not keep looking for God behind every bush he saw. That's very important. Because God got your attention a certain way. We can't turn it into doctrine. We can't turn it into, this is our biblical practice because you and God had a certain experience. Because all God was trying to do was get your attention. He's trying to just get your attention so He can begin to help you and you begin to make the way he got your attention, a doctrine. You know, like for instance, not taking shots at anybody. Seven day Adventists. They made a whole religion out of God said rest on the seventh day. You follow what I'm saying? And all he was saying was just rest. Now they got a whole doctrine and they can't figure out nothing. How they they don't know. They're confused because they made a whole doctrine out of God rest on the seventh day, and then God told us the rest. Now they're trying to figure out. They don't know. They're confused because they're trying to obey Old Testament, New Testament. Some in some parts they're saying the Old Testament says, then another part they over here in the New, they're confused. All because they made a doctrine out of one passage God said. You need to rest on the seventh day. Take a day of rest. That's all he was saying. Now they got a doctrine. But we have to be careful of that ourselves, that, you know, something happened with us in our relationship with God, and now all of a sudden we're making a doctrine. As a matter of fact, that's how false religion gets started. Just like we would have made a doctrine out of Christmas tree. And sometimes I think how God operates, he knows all of our weaknesses. And he knows what will lead you astray and what will lead me astray and what will lead you astray. So he deals with us a lot of times as an individual. So he might know your lifestyle says you can easily fall into idol worship. Because your family lifestyle said that. So you know what? I'm going to always defend you and keep you from anything that can pull you into idol worship. But you can't go telling everybody that this is idol, that this is wrong, this is the idol. No, your family background might have, we have all kind of background. Addictions, you know, idol worshiping, all kind of stuff. And so God knows all of this. And sometimes he's just telling you as an individual, stay away from that. And then we're going to make a doctrine out of it. You need to stay. no, God knows your life. And he's telling you, watch out. Don't go telling somebody else, watch out. We got to go to biblical truth. What the word says, what God is trying to tell. We can't make doctrine out of stuff God is showing us, trying trying to help us. Oh, well, God told me this. Okay, brother. We got to be careful of that kind of stuff. Biblical Christians, that's what we need to be not traditional Christians. Page 21, last paragraph. If we as the church are to engage the most effective practice in making an impact on the world around us, then we must first have the right understanding of Scripture. In his command go make disciples of all nations, Jesus gave us the right theology. If his idea of reaching the world with the gospel is correctly interpreted, theologically and then biographically enacted, we will be successful in doing what God has called us to do. If we do not understand or have somehow missed the full meaning of his instructions concerning how we are to reach the world, then we will not be equipped with the full power available to us. Consequently, the result will not be as fruitful as Christ intended. Got that? this is why we have to be on top of the word and really understand it and really be clear about it because if you're not, again, we frustrate ourselves because we're not going to get the results that the Bible said we would get and then now it's a challenge because you're saying, why isn't this working? Because you probably need to dig and find out what's the real meaning behind the scriptures. Maybe we need to start spending more time learning some more things, you know? Spending time You know, getting in the word of God a little bit more so you know, you know for sure what the word of God is saying so you don't make any mistakes. All right, I'm getting ready to finish up. We can close out in this in a little bit. We have to watch out for tradition. There's two kind of traditions. There's biblical traditions. And there's man tradition. We have to watch out for man's tradition. And also we can look at biblical traditions because as times change, your biblical tradition might need to change. Hear what I said. I said biblical traditions. I did not say biblical word. God's word never changed. God don't change. But we can come up with biblical traditions. Uh Uh-huh. Let's look at let's take a look at that. Do we have the right theology? I'm at the bottom last last um, last paragraph on page 22. Do we have the right theology? We claim that we do, and it is clearly, it is certainly so regarding the essential doctrine of the Godhead, new birth, apostolic identity, oneness, Pentecostals also referred to as apostolics in this book, typically contend. That they lay no claim to embracing any religious tradition. But the truth is, we can be traditional as any other denomination. For example, don't we usually sit in our assigned seats every Sunday? <laughs> so we have traditions. Right? We just have to understand what those traditions are. Hold on to our godly traditions, biblical traditions, but the traditions of man, we can't hold on to those. Those will lead us astray. Let's look at Second Thessalonians 3 and 6 and somebody else can get Colossians 2 and 8. Somebody get Second Thessalonians 3 and 6 and somebody else get Colossians 2 and 8. If you have Second Thessalonians three and six, read it out loud for me. Okay. Which one is that? Thessalonians. Right. So what what Paul is telling them is you receive a tradition through how I discipled you. But those are good traditions. So it's OK to sit in your same seat if you want. It's not wrong with that, especially if you're sitting in the front because you, you want to hear and you don't want any distractions. I used to sit in the front all the time in the church and you'll see when we get bigger that it's going to be important. If you really want to hear the word of God and be involved in the service, you sit in the front. Because when you stay in the back, man, there's so many distractions around back. Woof. Woof. Man, you'll see when when the church gets bigger. (laughs) Oh, man. And also, too, I used to sit in the front so they couldn't come and get me for anything that they were doing in the back. Because things still go on, you know. Church go on and other things are going on. I said, I'm sitting where they can't get to me. Good tradition to sit in the front. Uh, Colossians. There you go. So now you see there's tradition of men and there is church tradition. Yes. So we have to make sure we examine those to make sure we're not following the tradition of man. And even with church tradition, every once in a while we have to say to ourselves, do we still need to do that? We do. There's there's traditional things in the church that we need to say every once in a while. Do we still need to do that? Why are we doing that? All right. Let me see where should I go. Uh, let's let's go to page twenty four. Last paragraph, page 24. In the first century church, the expectation and the experience was that all born-again believers did ministry. Originally, the word minister was a verb. Follow me. And not a noun. (laughs) Somewhere, Christianity turned an action word into a title. Oh, watch it now. We're going somewhere. The five-fold ministry provided leadership for the church, but ministry was shared by all. Saints were trusted to serve, and they were highly esteemed by their leaders. The apostles equipped, empowered, laid on hands, and shared their authority and released saints for ministry. One example is the development of deacons. In Acts chapter 6, notice what happened when the seven were identified, ordained and commissioned, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. When the ministry was decentralized and the saints were equipped, empowered, and released to do ministry, the results were explosive. We have turned ministry, an action word, into a noun, minister. What does that mean? It means we're going around now saying, okay, we have ministers in our church. We have we have a pastor in our church. We have this and we have that. They are required to do certain things because they carry that title. When minister or ministry is really service. And that's what it was in the early church. Everybody served in different capacity. And if you want to be technical, serving was really considered ministry. And that's what God intended when he introduced the word ministry to us, is for us to serve. But somehow we took ministry to become minister, a noun. So now we walk around and we have made a distinguished way of looking at people. Oh, that's a minister. Oh, that's a deacon. Oh, that's an evangelist. Oh, that's a this and that's a that. And now the people that are not titled are saying, well, I guess that ain't what I'm supposed to do. Tradition, tradition, not biblical, not biblical. We, we, we see there where they, 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 they commission people, they, they shared the authority. Uh, today's way of pointing that out, we should all be at a place where we understand we're keeping up with whoever is sick and are admitted to the hospital. Whoever is sick at the nursing home, whoever is sick that's at a home, it should not be the ministers. It should not be the pastor. We all can serve. We all can go and pray. And in this church, I give you my authority and will always say it. you have the authority. And if you feel like you need to come to me for me to lay hands on you. So when you hear that somebody is sick, you can go and say, I'm here as an extension of our pastor and pray for them. God, on, Jesus. We're going to get this thing the right way, biblically, so we can see results. I won't allow you to be tradition. Oh, somebody said, let me call pastor and tell him that so-and-so is in the hospital so he can go up and visit. Now, I'll let you in this. Yeah, I know people feel better when the pastor comes. But even they got a traditional way of thinking, and that's why they're thinking like that. And so we have to help them break that cycle. So somebody has to show up and say, hey, how you doing today? Hey, brother so-and-so. Well, I'm here on behalf of pastor. And in your mind, you're like, I don't know about that. You better call pastor and tell him to come. (laughs) But we can't function like that. We can't do that. Because we're hindering the work of God. And God can use any one of you. Remember now, remember what we started out by saying. If you go to make disciples, if you go to do the work of God, you will be empowered by the Spirit of God. God's presence will be with you and make you able to do what needs to be done at that point in time. So because you're going to represent the work of God, God will empower you. So you don't have to worry about... Or the person that's in the hospital don't have to worry about what you're going to do. They're operating in the authority. Listen, you've been hearing me pray a lot lately. When I pray, I said, Lord, I submit under your authority. I'm doing that purposely. Because when I show up and devils are in the place, they might have a problem with Wayne. But because Wayne is under the authority of Jesus, oh, they can't deal with me. But if I go with no authority, you know what they're going to say? Peter I know, Jesus I know, but I don't know who you are and they're going to chase me and run out of the house naked. That's what I had to the sons of Sceva. So, so, so once you've been given the authority, the devils have to recognize that authority. But you get that authority by being submitted under authority. So we all will come under authority and operate that way. Oh my goodness, we will see some stuff. God will bless you just because you're under authority. As a matter of fact, i get worried about people that's trying to do the work of God that's not under authority. Because you're not covered. And the devil knows he will eat your lunch. He will eat your lunch and send you packing with no clothes on. (laughs) That's biblical. (laughs) Um, Let's finish up here. Um, Let me see. I I know where I said I'm going to stop. Okay. Good, good, good. All right. Let's go to page 25, and we'll start in the middle um, paragraph It is a wonderful thing that the saints believe in the pastor. But it it is even more wonderful when the pastor believes in the saints. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. Let me tell you what sparked this lesson. I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to, this is what sparked this lesson. And it scared me to death. And I said, okay, Lord, okay. I was like, okay, to the Lord. We have experience almost every week. It's not too many weeks that go by that we don't have guests. And I got nervous when I asked myself the question, what are we doing about our guests? Do they just come? We love them and they leave and we never see them again or they might come back again. What did we do? And I realized I can't do everything. But I realized God made me responsible to make sure I at least do what needs to be done so everybody knows what they can do. And so that scared me to death when I can think of the many guests that have come through this church, especially the past, just, I just, six weeks. I mean, a couple Sundays ago we had eight guests, eight. So I got really nervous. I'm like, Lord, I'm sorry. Like Literally got nervous because guests are coming in and did any of us befriend them? Did any of us go to them and start talking to them because guess what? This is a potential disciple of Christ and I have to be the one to at least attempt to befriend them so eventually I can disciple them. And I don't know if we have done that. And that made me nervous. I'm sweating talking about it. So after, after that reached me, I said, oh no. We're going to be learning how to make friends with sinners or if you want to make it nicer, make friends with people that are not saved. Befriend them and begin to disciple them. If they decide they don't want to be in church, they decide they don't want to have anything to do with God. I hear that, but we better make sure we do our part. And here's the story. You can't give up on them easy. Jesus says, Father, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass. What he was experiencing, none of us ever experienced and never will. He says, but nevertheless, not as I will, but as thy will. And I'm telling you right now, I've gone to homes that made promise. I'm going to be in church. I'm going to do it right. Nope, it wasn't. At the moment, you say it in your mind. What happened? They told me this. And your flesh say, just leave them alone. They don't want it. And I said, nope. That's not how Jesus did me. I'm going back and I'm going back with a smile. Because I'm endeavoring to befriend them and disciple them. And that's what this thing come down to. We have to make friends with people. That don't know who Jesus is. And we have to love them. Take them out. Befriend them. Spend time with them. And it's okay if it's just one person. He he didn't say. Go make three disciples at a time. Just one. We'll get into it more. But it'd probably take a whole year to make one disciple. But here is what I'm going to tell you. What our. Our goal percentage wise is supposed to be when we're talking about we're trying to make disciples of people. Our goal has to be ninety-two percent retention, Cheryl. Ninety-two percent retention rate is what it needs to be as we as God send people here and we begin to minister to them, befriend them, and disciple them, we ought to retain. 92% of the people that God sent here. Where do you get that number from, preacher? Where did I get that number from? Biblical. Jesus had 12 disciples, he only lost one. We're trying to be like him, we're not being tradition, we are being biblical. And even the one that he lost, the Bible said, and he was the devil. So, you know, if you go through John chapter 17, that whole thing tell you about, you know, that Jesus was able to keep all that he received, and the one that he didn't keep, he was just the devil. So the only, so we're supposed to be looking at 100%, except for if one come in, that's a devil. But that's the retention rate that when God send people here is not for us to say, man, we had a lot of guests. It's for us to figure out a way how to befriend them. We got some work to do. And if you say, I'm not just that friendly, I don't talk to everybody, this is what I'm going to tell you. Let me ask the question now so I take away your excuse. Who in this room does not, does not have a friend? I just took away your excuse. Because whatever you did to get that friend, do what you got to do to get another friend. Right? Whatever you did to have that friend or friends you have now, repeat that. Make that process a little tight and get another friend. So you can't say, I'm just not one to... You have friends or a friend. So if you maintain that friendship, you can go find another friend and maintain that friendship. All right? One of my very best friends came through making a disciple. Amen. You will be surprised if you can reach somebody and make a disciple. They become your very best friend. Because you and them can share. Any questions? We'll pick back up next week in the book. You can read ahead if you want, but when we get together next week, we'll jump back. on um, we, were we left off on? Page 23? 25? Okay, let me bend my page, even though I'll jump on it, because I don't want to get ahead of myself. We left off on page 25. Next week, we'll pick back up. All right. We good? Any questions? We're going to be challenged, but at least we know we're going to be biblical. Yes, sir? Uh, you mean if you want to be a follow up person? Well, there was a Sunday when there was eight people here, mm-hmm. Okay. One. All right. So let me tell you how that works. <laughs> All right. So what you just got to open up.